Nine million terrorists in the world and I gotta kill the one with smaller feet than my sister? Mm, I only have one thing to say to this. Mm -hmm. Happy hunting, Hans. <laughs> Yippee-ki-yay, dude. Season 3, Episode 16 of the Average Joe's Movie Clubcast. This is Justin. And I'm Joey. In this episode, we're going to go shaken, not stirred, when we dive into the OG Bod film from the Criterion Laserdisc... Um, God, I screwed it up again. In this episode, we're going to go shaken, not stirred, when we dive into one of the OG Bond films, which was actually out on Criterion Laserdisc once upon a time, as we discuss From Russia With Love from 1963, plus the story of a stubborn old man and his new tech toy that's sure to steal your heart. I see what you did there, Justin. <laughs> uh, and just a heads up, we do discuss our full thoughts on these films, so if you've not seen a movie... Skip a skip ahead to avoid any spoilers, or you know, go watch the movies and come back. And if you want to be a part of the movie club cast, make sure to hit subscribe, leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you, hear about your thoughts on these movies, and movie talk is universal, which we're finding out um, very quickly. So come join the conversation. Please so, do. How's it been, friend? It's been all right, man. Just, uh, you know, getting accl acclimated to the new job. Um, spur of the moment episode last night. Had a couple friends in over the weekend. And then a lot and lot of Elden Ring. Um, so if anybody who follows me on Letterboxd is like, why well, enjoy watching movies? I mean, there was some stress and stuff in the earlier part of the year. and But no, now it's, it's Elden Ring. That's eating up a lot of my free time that's like kind of like game of thrones um well it george rr R. martin did help a little bit on the story but it is the newest game from um from software and miyazaki so it's it doesn't have the word souls in it it's not dark souls one two or three but it is that style of game um you know what they call a souls born mm -hmm. um and it is freaking fantastic, and I love it. I think uh, it's my favorite of the series. Uh, 
currently played a little bit more in C, but right now it's topped out over Bloodborne as my favorite. Um, they've made some like life improvements within the game. Like you got a horse, so you. I mean, it's an open world game instead of a kind of open world game. It's like a humongous open world game. So they added this horse or mount thing that you can ride and get you everywhere pretty quickly. You can fast travel from anywhere, not just at bonfires. You can crouch now to do stealth. You can jump. Um, and then I think the biggest change of life improvement was um, outside a lot of the bosses, they have the bonfire or your save point, or they have like a, um, they call a stake of Marika. So you can respawn there and you don't have to like run back through the whole dungeon or, you know, make this long run to get back to the boss fight and waste a lot of your resources. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, no, it's, it's hella fun. I'm enjoying it a lot. Has there been any games before this in this story, or is this the first one? This is the first one. Um, so it's, like I said, it's not connected to the other FromSoft, the big FromSoft games, which is uh, the Three Dark Souls, Demon Souls, Sekiro, or um, Bloodborne. Okay. But like I said, it's, it's the same style of game. It, there's nods to some of the other games you if you are if you're a veteran of those games, you 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 recognize stuff and some of the patterns and and all of that kind of stuff. But it's it's a hell of fun game. I did some video gaming too. I was playing the original Mega Man. Oh snap, son! Yeah, I got the uh, disc for PS4 a couple years ago, and I just like busted it out for the kiddo because um, you know kids these days just don't understand how hard video games actually used to be. How you actually used to like go insane playing them and um i was never all that good at mega man um i thought the music was fantastic it it's cool level design but uh hard as shit but um yeah this disc happens to have like save you can um save anywhere and you can actually you can actually uh rewind so um it's been kind of cool you know actually pounding my way through that game and the first part of the dr wiley section which first time i've ever played the those levels but um yeah looking forward to hopefully playing through the whole franchise at some point oh like you we were talking about for the podcast we both did podcast yesterday so um back-to-back pods yeah yours yours actually just hit as we went to start recording um as we saw when we went on to youtube to uh (laughs) find some information out about ourselves real quick Mm -hmm. um mine um i have not had had a chance to even edit and it was for me it was a longer episode it was almost an hour and a half um so it'll probably be hopefully it'll be out by this weekend or early next week mm-hmm. um so today's the 21st hopefully mm-hmm. it'll be out around the 28th to the 30th somewhere in that ballpark maybe sooner but that's what i'm shooting for yeah i talked with uh ben hibbard which um yeah i definitely recommend checking out the episode had a good time talking with him so it's just amazing like how much i was relating to him on certain things and other things not so much he's a big Ed- edgar wright fan so we had a fun discussion there but um yeah we went about two and a half hours and it's it just got my interview style just a little changed up a little bit where i'm not like always pressing forward i'm just kind of letting it like play itself out a little bit it's better uh, Letting it play itself out naturally, which, um, you know, it obviously avoids a lot of those awkward cutoff moments. But, um, I mean, I'm, I, I invited them on my show to talk about movies, so might as well let them talk to their heart's content. So, Yeah, I feel you with that. I think that's kind of what happened on my Ninja 3 episode. 
for Schlock Talk and then for this episode, um, which will be on the King of Fighters, um, where the, the person just had a ton to say about the subject matter and other stuff. And uh, it was a friend of mine I actually hadn't seen in person in like over a year. Um, just due to, you know, life and Rona and all of that. So um, we had mm-hmm. a great time watching the movie, even though the movie was bad. But, I mean, that's the nature of the beast on that show. And um, we had a great time talking about the movie, and I hope that comes through um, when, when I finally do get it out for everybody to listen to. So, But we are in the busy spring season now. So, uh, yeah, my movie's watching is like slowed down a bunch. So we got the baseball going on. We got karate going on. We got soccer going on. Yeah, so constantly going on. But, I mean, like last week, I think I might have written like, written like two reviews all week. And, you know, it's, it's not a bad thing, I guess. Kind of just kind of reassessing how things are. I mean, I wish I could watch more movies. But, you know, sometimes you just take a little longer with them. And hmm, that's what it is. I mean, yeah, no, I feel you. Like like I said, being like, I thought when I was out of work there for almost a month, I'm like, man, I'm going to bang out a lot of movies. But then there's a lot of times where I was just like, I don't have the mental energy, like, because I'm so worried to, to sit there and focus on a movie. And I don't want to watch a movie. And because I was in a shit mood, let that mm-hmm. kind of affect what I was doing. So I just ended up binging like trashy television, like Ink Master, which I love, but it's not good. It's mm-hmm. not good at all. So, I mean, that, you know, you, oh, 12 one-hour episodes a season, and it's like, well, there's a day or two days, and that could, you know, that's, one season could have been four or five movies, you know, but it it is what it is, so. In a lot of cases, it's like, I'm just hanging around the house, and the wife's at work, and the kiddos are looking for stuff to do, so, yeah, do a little video gaming with them, do a little reading, you know, be a dad or whatever, so, yeah. Um... Got some a fun trip coming up. Got uh, Tanner's birthday's coming up, so we're taking him to the Great Wolf Lodge in Charlotte. And afterwards, it's a secret we're going Carolyn. So should be a pretty good trip coming up here in early April. Nice, nice. Um, if while you're in Charlotte, if you're looking for some good eats, okay. Um, there's a place called I don't know how much the, the kids look like it, but um, it's a place called Blacal. It is a like Japanese sushi burger joint and it's fantastic. Um, if you want to get some ice cream, there's a place called Jenny's. Um, very good. Um, there's some other places. Uh, one, one of my favorites up there is, is a place called Moosehead, but probably don't want to take your kids there. It's kind of like a dive bar and an old pizza hut, but they have okay. fucking okay. fantastic, fantastic black and wings. Some of the best wings I've ever had. And they also, even though it's not affiliated with them, they found um, from up north a, a beer called Moosehead, which they have, mm-hmm. like, as their signature beer, even though it's, they don't make it, it's not associated with them. It was just a lucky coincidence. So, and there's all sorts of crazy stuff up there. I mean, obviously, there's, like, a Dave & Buster's and just mm-hmm. all sorts of cool stuff up there. So, I hope you guys have a good time. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. All right, you ready to get into some movie trivia? Yeah, baby, let's go. All right, do you want to go back and forth, or how do you want to do it? You decide, whatever you want. Okay, let's just go straight through. All right. Now, I know that I recall you saying that you hadn't seen that many Bond films, so I kept this pretty vanilla, so hopefully I'm not kicking myself. It's all oh. good, man. No worries. Whom does James Bond work for? MI6. 
That's right. British intelligence. You would probably know the answer to this better than I did, but um, I obviously have the answer in front of me. But uh, how does James Bond kill Dr. No? Shit, I just watched that. <laughs> um, I want to say it was like with a piece of fruit or something. But this says remember. that he suffocated him with a mound of guano, which that's bat poop, right? Yeah, guano is bat poop. I don't remember that, but that sounds right. The, the <laughs> end of these movies get a little a little wonky. I'm tell you, I was in that movie for Ursula Andress. <laughs> All right. Now, do you know who authored the James Bond books? Ian Fleming. That's right. Yeah, you've probably seen that flash up on screen quite a bit lately. Yep. Which studio produced almost the entirety of the Bond films? MGM. Mm-hmm. That's an American one. So let's look for a uh, let's look for an English studio. It doesn't it did not have the fucking line on the front of it just now when I watched that movie? Oh, I see what you're getting at. Let's see what, which studio produced almost entire. Okay. Um, well, the answer is Pinewood, where I know they shot them all. So. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I think about MGM being involved. Maybe like. MGM was like a distributor. I don't know. That's an interesting question. Maybe I messed up there. All right. And the last one is what car did James Bond have in the movie Goldfinger? I mean, it's got to be an Aston Martin, right? That's right. That's right. Don't ask me which version. But, I mean, (laughs) Goldfinger I haven't seen, so, but. Yeah. So yeah, you could um, just general Bond trivia. You're you're pretty savvy. I mean, you have been on this earth about thirty and a half or thirty plus years. So I guess those things come to mind, right? Um, uh, all oh, right. You actually had a couple extra questions. So let me on the quick see if I can at least find something to go with to to make it a little more even. Oh, that's a good question. Um, Any theme theming to your questions this time? Nine, uh, mostly nineties. I have three questions at this point. Two of them are nineties, okay. and one of them is one of them is not. All right, we'll just go with this one because I like this movie. Okay. And so we'll have I'll have four questions, and I'll just I'll start with this one. Um. What is the name of the actress who plays the young killer in Leon the Professional? Oh, that's um, Natalie Portman. Yes, that was under the hard 90s trivia questions on this place that I'm at. I just want to point that out. All right, here's the other ones. <laughs> well, if you run into actors' names. <laughs> Plus, I, I guess just, that's just reviewed a movie with Natalie Portman. <laughs> okay. According to Letterboxd, how many acting credits does Sean Connery have? Uh, hmm. 60? Uh, you are a little more than halfway there, fam. <laughs> so, like, 100? 110. Wow, that's a lot. That's yep. a, lot, a lot of movies. All right. Um... Which 1992 movie directed by John G. Alvidson and starring Morgan Freeman and Daniel Craig 
is based on Bryce Courtney's 1989 novel of the same name. Oh my. You get this, I'll be surprised. I only put it in there because it had Daniel Craig and, you know, <laughs> tie-in. God, and what, you said it was 92? Yep, 92 movie with Morgan Freeman and Daniel Craig. Hmm. I'd never heard of this. I'll, I will quantify that. I nothing's coming to mind, so it's hit me. The power of one. Yeah, I've so, never gotten that. No, but I didn't know Daniel Craig was making movies in 1992, so it kind of, kind of hit me. All mm-hmm. right, what two James Bond movies were released in the 90s? That would be uh, Goldeneye and um, Tomorrow Never Dies. That is correct. In 95 and 97, respectfully. My first, my first two Bond films, I think. I think. I think technically those were also my first two Bond films. And then there was one in like, what, 2000 or 2001 or something? Um, the World's Not Enough. Yeah. Because, I mean, then, it was like two. Mm-hmm. And then it was 06. Um, Die Another Day. Die Another Day, yeah. Oh, he was on me in four. I guess he was only in four. Because was it Die Another Day had um, Halle Berry had Halle Berry, and then the other one had the Madonna song. Um, I know the world's not enough. Diane or or Diane, what's her name? The one that used to be with Charlie Sheen, uh, Denise Richards. Denise Richards, yeah. Yeah, I was all excited for her being the Bond uh, girl, and that was kind of her like. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not as uh, interesting on screen anymore. <laughs> at that point. So. Yeah, I got you. Um, and then after that, we went to Daniel Craig, and Bond films changed and got a lot better. Um, <laughs> different. Different. Let's I stand talk. by what I said. I stand by what I said. We'll talk more about what we've been watching lately, and the good, the bad, and the ugly. Okay. I had, did I do it wrong? Best foreign language feature, and it's a family movie, right? Dude, I, what happened? Uh, oh, okay, never mind. They just separated and it was weird. Okay. I have The Guy's Rom-Com, uh-huh, uh-huh. one of the rom-coms, and uh-huh, some uh-huh. 90s spice. Oh, all right, well, let's hear about Breakfast at Tiffany's. <laughs> you, sir, are correct. That is one of the rom-coms. Um, I, I was actually struggling with a little catchy title because I, I wanted to make, like, a Kanye reference because, I mean, I mean, I'm not saying that Audrey Hepburn's character was a gold digger in that movie, but... She's carrying around a gold shovel. <laughs> but also... Kanye's, you know, like terrorizing his ex-wife, and that's not cool. So I didn't want to like do that. But that's the—I mean, that's the whole movie. She's a gold digger until she's not. Um, but it's still she's still charming. It's still it's still cute. If you you know, also look aside the the whitewashing, or it's not even white. I mean, just the racist. I guess Asian face is the right word. I'm not even sure. Mickey but, Rooney thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I mean, it's the classic for a reason. I mean, it's got a '90s song about it, um, kind of. 
So. I was so ashamed the, the other week when I went to the dentist because, so, strange story, I ended up with a slightly younger um, dental hygienist, and we're just talking, and all of a sudden I find out, like, she's, like, really into, like, classic films, and, like, um, which one was her favorite? One of these Aubrey movies, uh, uh, Audrey movies, um... It was the one Sabrina. in Rome, Roman Holiday. Roman Holiday. Ooh, that's really good. So I told her I was going to watch it, and I didn't. So I definitely have to watch it soon. So I'll be ready for my next appointment in a I, couple actually, months. Actually, Car- Carl and I watched it not that long ago. It's really good. I really like that movie. I'll call that. Okay. Which one you want to hear about? Let's go with a family movie. It's a family movie. Okay, so we... Um, so all the Pixar movies are dropping on that all D plus nowadays, because I, I. So my reasoning here is so like Pixar is obviously a top tier studio, always delivers good movies. My theory is they're dropping those things straight to D plus. First of all, to make sure as many subscribers you know get on there as possible, but then like, it's like an automatic like really good movie studio that's like pumping movies into there, you know couple times a year so it makes sense to me i don't mind it being on d plus saves me 80 dollars. i spent 80 dollars to go see uncharted joey 80 dollars, and i really wish i could have that movie that money back because that was forgettable shit oh um, that's, well one it is a video game movie so that's not that shocking and that is sad because i do like tom holland i do think marky mark was a questionable casting choice other than i guess he brings name power but um, as far as the movies being on D plus off the cut, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, these are kids geared towards family and children. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it costs you 80, 80 bucks, maybe a hundred bucks or more mm-hmm. for you and your three kids and your wife to go to a movie. The last, we went to see the Batman and we saw that for, I think we spent $45 getting us all tickets and one drink. It's because we 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 uh we skinny down the uh, the spending a little bit the next time, but gosh, it's expensive to go to the movies. But yeah, and, and depending that, on the movie. But like for you to spend what is it thirty dollars to rent one when it drops on D plus? Well, the um, they don't do they don't do the uh, the premium access anymore. The just the Pixar movies are just available. Okay, but even if it was thirty dollars, yeah, come, oh, yeah, that's, that is, that's still worth it. That's hella. That's hella worth it. You can go to the Dollar Tree and buy candy and and fucking popcorn and mm-hmm. soda, and you can pause the movie. Mm-hmm. You can have subtitles on the movie. Like, yeah, no, it's it's totally worth it. Like, I thought it was worth it when I did Cruella last year, and me and one of my friends we split the money. We each spent fifteen dollars, and it's the, that's the same thing to go to the movie theater, except for now we're at our home. And, and all the other benefits. So yeah, no, I think it's I think it's worth it. So, anyways, uh, so I saw Turning Red, this um, this kind of anime inspired uh, Pixar movie. It's from the same director that did Bow a few years ago. Did you ever see that short Pixar did about the the um, lady that makes dumplings and like one of the no, dumplings I did. becomes her child? I did not. What's really interesting about this movie is it's kind of geared towards preteens. So there's a lot about like puberty in there and like res- learning to respect your parents in there and i mean at the end of the day it has a big red giant um fluffy red panda so of course all the kiddos are going to love that and think that's amazing but there was some pretty edgy stuff in there for um you know just a general family film that's 
I mean, there's a some super uh, kind of icky moments where like the mom shows up at her school and's like, "You forgot your pads," and uh, kind so, of awkward yeah, stuff like that. So, so, did your wife watch that movie with you, or was it just you and your three sons? It was just me and the kiddos, but they rewatched it as we were like making dinner one night, and she looked at me and she's like, "This doesn't sound like the most appropriate movie for them." Like, it's cute, but you're not wrong. <laughs> Well, no, the you. reason that I, that I asked was because um, that from you know I haven't seen it, but I mean there's a lot of stuff. <clears throat> Don't type. Thank you. So I get for like trying to dust off my desk while you were talking. Um, <laughs> I have seen a lot of stuff on the internet where you know it's it it is dealing with you know um, menstruation and you know puberty and that kind of stuff and you know discussion. A lot of people are upset about it and. and you know, whether it's right or wrong, that kind of thing. But so I was just curious, like how your boys would have reacted, you know, no, it, it, it totally went over their head. Um, as I would suspect it would, I mean, most, uh, uh more mature content that I show them does go over their head, but, um, which, which, you know, is, does happen a lot. Like I, you mm-hmm. think about some of the movies we watched when we were kids and then we watched them as adults and we were like, Holy shit, why were we watching yeah. that? Um, so, I, I mean, I think, you know, kids are smart, but sometimes when they just don't know about something, because mm-hmm. your oldest is, what, 10, right? Yeah. So, if he rewatches this movie probably in two or three years, it might make a little bit more sense, but also, mm-hmm. if you had a daughter, it probably would also make a lot more sense. It's funny that um, he just mentioned to me today, since he's, so he's in fourth grade, and he said all the girls in his class have, like, the boy band from the, the movie, like, some, like... Stuff like on their book bags of this boy band. I think it's called like For Life or something. So, um, yeah, quite popular. Um, on that note, um, the whole Encanto, like apparently. So that was the last Disney movie that came out right before the holidays. And yeah, that have you heard of um, when we don't talk about Bruno, that song? Mm-mm. I just know that that movie is still crazy popular. I still see people posting about it. Mm-hmm. Like their kids just watching it all the time. Yeah. Still, so. It's very catchy music. Um, I don't see why that's the most popular song. I, I happen to like another song in there, but I think all the music in there is really catchy. But yeah, Turning Red, uh, definitely recommend it. Just a little edgier than I would have suspected. I just wish like they would fix the rating system. Like most of these movies are G, and this one was obviously PG, and it should have been like PG for... Um, Obviously, you wouldn't want to put like sexual awakenings, but uh, uh, for puberty-oriented content or something, you know, just to get, kind of give you a heads up. Preteen life situations or something. I, I don't. Yeah, I, mean, I, I don't know. Like, like I think that's kind of that's hard to say because, like, I I would have no problem with that being rated G for general audiences. I don't think sure, that that's that makes. You know, I don't think that's anything that needs to not be discussed. I think the more it's discussed, especially mm-hmm. amongst males, is probably a, a good thing overall. But that's a whole nother topic of conversation. Um, and, and, and I'm totally there with you. Like, I don't mind my kids seeing it. It's just it would have been nice to just have a little bit of like a like that flash up as part of the rating. You know, I, I got it. I guess the other side of that is in like today's world where we know so much about everything Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially like you and I, where we follow a lot of movie stuff, like I know what the movie's about and have never seen it. Like I couldn't tell you the ins and outs, obviously, but I knew what it's about. 
having never even seen it or tried to find out information about it. So I guess maybe that, you know, that thought is also that everyone will know. I, I don't know. That's hard to say. Anywho. So uh, Sarah Marshall, speaking of um, edgy content. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you've been keeping up with my letterbox lately. Um, yeah. I Guys know. rom-com is um, that, which, to be fair, I haven't watched a lot. So it's kind of really easy to discern just the way you worded these little clues. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was also rushing, because um, for once I was the one not prepared on time. Um, but yeah, forgetting Sarah Marshall, which we did an episode on back in season two. That sounds right. Yeah, one of with our faves. Or was it with Fight Club? I think so. Yeah, because it was with one of our each with one of our faves. Yeah, it sounds right. Sarah Marshall and, and Fight Club. Um, so actually I watched both these movies on the same night. I went and hung out, um, and with, with a, with a female friend, um, Ooh. and well, that, that's all it was right. We decided to just be friends kind of thing, but, um, she had never seen breakfast at Tiffany's and was like, Oh, it's a, uh, all time classic, blah, blah, blah. And then I brought some other movies to pick from. And, uh, that's what we ended up watching on the second one. I mean, it has, freaking Marshall from How I Met Your Mother in it. It has Mila Kunis and Kristen Bell. And if you've watched this podcast, you know how I feel about Mila Kunis and Kristen Bell. I love both of them. So, um, and I've seen it so many times, but it just, just makes me happy. But I, I do think it is kind of like, like a guy rom-com. Like it's definitely very comedic and it's got the love story and the love story is a very much the central figure of the of the plot but it's definitely raunchy and geared more towards guys than something like how to lose a guy in 10 days or breakfast at tiffany's roman holiday one of your more traditional rom-coms kind of thing cool cool all right uh what is your best foreign language feature okay which it's pretty much default that on Drive My Car is going to be probably, and that's the Japanese film from this year. It's actually nominated for Best Picture. I hadn't even heard of it until um, I saw the nominations come out. But um, yeah, I, d I dove into this three-hour uh, slow burn of a Japanese movie, and it took a long time. Like, it's kind of interesting because there's like a whole prologue to this movie, and you don't even know it's a prologue until about 40 minutes in whenever the, the, they finally start rolling the credits. Um, it's a really strange one because it's all about like the main character is like a playwright who's like mourning the death of his wife and trying to move on. He moves to uh, uh, Hiroshima of all places, so you know, kind of a, a grave city in its um itself in its in its essence. So there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff in there about like guilt of um being like a survivor and yeah, it's a it all kind of comes together at the end and um, makes its themes be known. My notifications going nuts on my phone here. Um, so yeah, I, I enjoyed how it came together at the very end. It just took a long, hell of long to get there. But um, yeah, glad I checked out Drive My Car. It's it's one of these like people a couple years ago were like, oh man, Portrait of a Lady on Fire is like the greatest film ever. And burning it's the greatest film ever it's such a slow burn i'm a cinephile i love this and this is kind of in the same camp 
And um, I think I like this one more than those two, just because it does come together nice and tidy at the end. Um, it was fun to write about it. it took me a couple days to get through it. Driving so car. I do have I do have to ask you the important question. Okay. Since this is the best foreign language feature, probably. Did you watch it in dubs or subs? There wasn't a there wasn't a, a dubs option. <laughs> I did check ah. though, <laughs> especially for a slow burn like this. Yeah. All right, so my last one is some 90s Spice, which I felt was only appropriate since we are um, going to be transitioning into some 90s stuff later. So you wanted to talk about Cruel Intentions over Parasite? I thought I talked about Parasite. Not on, not on, on this last, show. I thought I talked about it on the last episode. Did you? I thought maybe, so. Maybe you did. I thought I talked. I thought I mentioned because I thought I remember to be talking about it like yeah. to you. And then how, like, I put it basically tied with Marriage Story for number one for the year. Okay, so yeah, that, that is ringing a bell. Okay, yeah. Proce- proceed. Because <laughs> then I probably would not have talked about Breakfast at Tiffany's. That would have been. <laughs> okay. Um, but first off, fuck off trying to make that negative comment about Cruel Intentions. <laughs> that movie is fucking 90s gold. Five stars. <laughs> Proceed. <laughs> Look, I will walk up out of this motherfucker right now. Don't test me. All right. I know, first of all, some of that, to be fair, is strictly nostalgia. That movie came out. I was 14. I was obsessed with Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And Sarah Michelle Gellar is out of type, completely brown hair, playing this sexually provocative bitch and makes out with Selma Blair. Like, that's burned in my head since I was 14 years old. Like, I don't know what you want from me. Hey, yeah. Um, so, I had a friend, um, and she comes over. It's uh, Jenna. She's been on a couple of my Schlock Talk episodes, and um, we try to go through and give her some movie education, um, and we've done, like, 10 Things I Hate About You and, you know, some other stuff from the 90s, and so we were looking for something to watch and she didn't want, you know, I've been trying to take it easy on her since we kind of sprung inside on her back in October. So I was like, we'll watch cruel intentions. You'll like it. And of course she did. Um, but I mean, there's, there's so much star power in it. I mean, like Selma Blair or like Sarah Michelle Geller, Ryan Philippe, Reese Witherspoon. Like there's just all these, all this star power, Joseph. Oh, I'm not I was about to say Joseph Gordon Levitt. And that is incorrect. Um, Pacey, Josh something, Josh Jackson, Joshua Jackson. Um, so there's a lot of like 90 star power in there. And it is just a very, it's romantic, dark dramedy, I guess is the best way to say it. I don't know, but it's, it, it's, you know, if you're from that time period, you probably saw it and you probably either loved it or you hate it. And if you haven't, you should watch it because it is fantastic. Totally five stars right up there with Parasite. (laughs) (laughs) That's the kind of show this is. (laughs) Look, look, that is a completely different kind of five star rating. Like, look, there are movies that get five stars for their technical aptitude and Uh their storytelling and stuff like Parasite. And then there's movies that get five stars because Sarah Michelle Gellar makes out with Selma Blair. Yeah, because I fucking said so. You're the man who gave what? 
Dumb and Dumber like four, four and a half stars. I don't want to hear shit. But that's from not you about my ratings. That season. that's a classic, and that's not five stars. But I digress. That movie is a, a classic piece of shit. Yes. You don't like Dumb and Dumber? Mm. I did, but I don't anymore. I can't. I can't do it. I just I don't want to hear the most annoying sound in the world. I don't want to see the sheepdog car. Wow, we are on the same the... wavelength tonight. I was thinking that same thing, the annoying so uh, annoying sound thing. So, um, all right. So, what did you do wrong? Or okay, so I watched Sin City for the second time, but I watched the extended cut, which puts all of the um, segments into their own short film. So I didn't realize until after like I was done and was reading back through Wikipedia how like two of the stories were supposed to be like bookended because, you know, it just doesn't play out like that in the extended cut because it, they're all separated. So that was very well, strange. So the, in, it, in the extended cut, so each each thing, instead of it being like a winding Tarantino-esque story, mm -hmm. each it character would, art is, is just. It would stop and it would do like in credits and then it would start the next story. Oh my god! Which was it was especially terrible for the the whole. Not that Josh Hartnett needed any favors, like being terrible, but um, yeah, that was super awkward and didn't work. But um, everything else about it was great. Um, gosh, can you believe that's uh, what Mickey Rooney in that movie? Not Mickey. Uh, Mickey Rourke. Mickey Rourke. Yeah, I always get that wrong. Dude, you want to talk about another movie loaded with star power? That movie has. So many people. I uh, just, I mean, understanding noir a lot more, it's kind of neat to see this real stylized with like this Robert Rodriguez grit um, noir style movie. Um, yeah, well, and I, I'll go ahead. I was going to say, and go figure, I fucking love this movie. It's mm -hmm. noir, it's Robert Rodriguez with a guest scene directed by Quentin Tarantino. What mm -hmm. the fuck? Oh, oh, and it came out. At peak Jessica Albanus, mm. and like, what? I mean, even with Ava Green being naked the whole runtime of Sin City Two, this movie is so much better than Sin City Two. Sin City Two was so disappointing, but that's neither here nor there. Bummer. But yeah, great um, lead protagonists in the three main stories there, and um, yeah, I was really impressed with Sin City seeing. Seeing all those uh, noir references all jammed into that fun little uh, sweet stylistic bloody package. So, Sin City. Mm, I have to watch that again soon. I fucking love that movie. All right, let's get into our feature movie, which is From Russia with Love. And this came out of uh, Joe, no, my um, criterion you've never seen before, I believe. Yes. So. Cool. Um, which was it was one I haven't seen before. Mm -hmm. Caveated with one, hopefully one you hadn't seen before. So mm -hmm. I went off of your Criterion list as you suggested, and so you had seen this before, but it had been a long time. Oh yeah, yeah. Way, way back in high school. So yeah, I didn't remember anything about it. So should be good stuff here. Um, it came out in 1963. It's a British spy film, the second in the James Bond series. Uh, produced by Eon Productions. So, so we have Pinewood Studios, we have MGM and Eon, um, as well as Sean Connery's second role as MI6's agent, James Bond. 
It was directed by Terrence Young and was based on Ian Fleming's 1957 novel of the same name. In the film, Bond is sent to assist in the defection of Soviet consulate clerk Tatiana Romanov, Romanova. Romanova, probably, or Roman, Romanova. Romanova, like that. Maybe. In Turkey, where Spectre plans to avenge Bond's killing of Dr. No. So um, I haven't seen Dr. No in forever, so I, I really don't have that context. But um, um, I mean, I watched it right after we did The 10th Victim for Cinematic Underdogs. And, uh, you know, so I got to back-to-back movies with Ursula Andress in it. Um, because I couldn't watch this one without watching that one, uh, to be fair. Yeah, I need to go back and rewatch it myself. I, yeah, I want to go through, back there and watch all of them. Um, my memory of this was that it all was kind of dull and it took place on a train. But that's not what this movie is at all much to my relief and it's it's kind of your prototypical prototypical like ideal bond movie with everything it has in it that like carried on through the whole franchise so that's really impressive i mean right from that opening um you know where the guy walks out and does the uh the gunshot and the blood comes down and then the barrel like you know the prototypical james bond opening so what was your uh experience like watching this one so, like, I hate that so much of my moods affect movies, but, like, we got out of work over an hour late today or right out an hour late because of just some some of the stupidest things we have to do because of um, security things. And this was silly, didn't have anything that needed to be with security, but it, it cost us, like, 45 minutes. So I was just kind of annoyed then I was like, and then I was worried about rushing to try to get to get started with this. So, um, but it is what it is. Um, I mean, there was some good action. I definitely noticed some things that had a influence on some stuff from my childhood. Um, the main one, the first one that comes to mind is uh, Dr. Claw from Inspector Gadget. Okay. I mean, he sits there with the cat. Yeah. And then uh, obviously Austin Powers. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So, yeah, cool. But I, I definitely uh, see what you're getting at with like where you see the Bond formula. Just, I mean, it was kind of in Doctor No, but this I think this is where they just nailed it, nailed it down. Mm-hmm. So it, I really enjoyed how we don't see Bond for like the first 25, 30 minutes of the movie. Um, it's like one of the first instances I can think of where hey, it's not like a big action scene in the beginning. It's um the, all the assassin that that one assassin like, um, getting the one guy and so yeah the fact that um, Bond's gonna be a target is established right there in the opening scene, and I really like the um the opening titles like nowadays it's like just a CGI fest but like this was just basically like these lights shining on like dancers and stuff and it was very fitting for a Bond film very sensual I mean you had like these um busts shaken and booty shaken and these uh hip looking uh james bond letters and i thought it was quite quite a pretty effective opening i mean yeah no the bond opening is always good um especially now when they've got such great music um mm-hmm. where you know you like the last couple have been adele and, and billy eilish and they've just had just these great opening songs so yeah no their openings are always pretty fantastic 
But but just this, I th- just find it so um, refreshing how this had like. I mean, I, I enjoy the like the kaleidoscope effect that a lot of the, like the newer ones have with all their CGI. But just to keep it real simple and have these oh, well, colorful yeah. lights on girls, it was just like really, really well, solid. I mean, I mean, yeah, girls are definitely the one of the staples of Bond movies. But yeah, it's um, I mean, anything like like practical effects. I mean, when you see them and they're done well, they're they always are good. It doesn't matter how how late it you know how much longer it is afterwards. So. Do you know how to play chess? I do know how to play chess. It has been a while, but I definitely used to play a lot in like middle school and early in high school. If we ever have an Average Joe's uh, chess tournament, we definitely need one of those giant boards where somebody needs a giant stick in order to move the pieces. Oh, man, that was that was really cool. Enjoyed that. Um, did you notice that whenever the, um, the chess master guy was summoned by Spectre... Um, Yep. The little like note had a you little. Were need, you were needed immediately. Yep, I caught the Spectre symbol. That was that was really sly. Yeah, I got I caught that back on a flip through. So, yeah, I I just love how these films like they introduce Spectre, they get it up, they they use it to its potential. Where as like the Daniel Craig ones, it, it was almost like a tease the whole time about Spectre. So. And I think I think when I talked about in the last episode when I was talking about the swan song of watching the last James Bond movie, where like the the bad guy in this one, it was like the after effect of all the things that that Blowfield had done, and it really felt like that 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 needed to be the bad guy in the last movie with the way the stuff was built up. Mm-hmm. And I mean, obviously Christoph Waltz is he's just a better villain than than Remy. Like no offense to Remy Malik, but. I mean, he's not Christoph Waltz. Christoph Waltz is it's what he does. Like, mm-hmm. so you definitely see the the Austin Powers influence, or what Austin Powers was influenced there. When you get the two henchmen there, and Blofeld's like playing with the buttons or whatever, like what does the blend number three and so forth. So yeah, you can I definitely mean, tell that Austin Austin Powers was inspired by like the original Bond films for sure. Y- yeah, I mean, he didn't have sharks with freaking laser beams on their head or very <laughs> agitated sea bass, but he mm-hmm. did have the, the the fighting fish. So, oh yeah, the little goldfish <laughs> yeah. chewing on each other. Um, and then we get to a little walk through like the Spectre training facility. That was pretty badass. And then um, they agreed that that hitman was the right guy for the job. Whenever she hit him with the the brass knuckles in the chest or in the in the stomach, and he's just like. Nope, I'm good. And then he goes back to his, him and his uh, oiled up girl. They're laying, laying around while oh, everyone else was, is training. She, she was very jiggly, like <laughs> very jiggly. All right. So moving on with the plot here, uh, Spectre manipulates that um, that Russian girl into. Um, I'm a little little fuzzy on the plot, but I all I know is like she operates the cipher machine that the Russians have. And so, like, Spectre, like, manipulates, like, Bond running into her. Is, is that kind of what you were getting? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, um, the, the, the Russian lady, she had been the head of, like, the Russian consulate, and she defected to Spectre. But because of the dictatorship, you know, that they had in, in the Russia or the USSR, whatever you want to call it, um, Soviet Union... They kept it under wraps, so not very many people knew that. So she was able to just keep acting like she was that 
position and she played on that girl's loyalty to mother russia to go and do this mission and obviously threaten her like if you don't do this mission i'll i'll kill you so that's that's where that was for um that part of the plot so you know it was the we've got this perfect plan and you know the british will know it's a trap but they'll never be able to resist and they'll send bond and we'll get revenge for him killing dr no mm -hmm. and you know We'll also use the girl because, well, we know Bond likes his ladies kind of thing. So, Kudos. You uh, wrapped that plot up nicely for me. I appreciate it. Um, let's see here. Oh, yeah. I remember being a little disappointed the first time I saw this in high school because you guys know I'm a sucker for Russian stuff. And there's not a whole lot in here. There might be like a sign that says like the USSR like consulate in Turkey or Istanbul or whatever. But, um... But yeah, the main Russian thing is just just the girl because she's from Russia. So she's from Russia, and she's from with Russia love. with love. Yeah, she roll makes credits. Love. <sighs> yeah, finally yeah, getting... And then yeah, after the 25, 30 minutes, we finally get to Bond, and of course he's getting frisky with a nice looking brunette there in a boat with some wine. So of course. Oh yeah, just just an old case. <laughs> <laughs> Good old Q, we get to see him, and given the perfect um, gadgets for this little expedition uh, with the exploding briefcase, which it was kind of exciting when that, that came into play because I'm like, oh, that's like the perfect thing to use now. And then the knife. So, oh, I minimal love, on gadgets, but effective. And I love how he flirts with like money penny. He's like, oh, money penny, darling. I've never even looked at another woman after, you know, <laughs> she called him and was like, Oh, your old case sounds very interesting. <laughs> um, so that's just that. Uh, are they? Have they? Are they? What's happening there? They, they had good chemistry. I thought they did a good job of shooting Istanbul throughout this movie. Um, a lot of nice uh, scenery of the city, and then uh, he pals up with that guy. And there's a lot of like Indiana Jones kind of um, things that things that Jones like probably might have borrowed from here. So like you have. Like, you know, like the guy he pals up with whenever he goes to that one um, country or uh, Tunisia in um, Raiders. Sully I, or Sully or. Um... It's it has been a long, long time since I've seen any of the indie movies. Okay. And the only one that I think I've actually seen more than once is the one with Sean Connery. So the last crusade. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think I've seen that one. Two or three times, and all the other ones I've seen once. Um, and that's just the three, because, you know, they've never made a fourth one. Um, Sala. Okay. So um, there being kind of like a, um, a local who's, like, savvy on what's going on, I thought was very similar to kind of that Indiana Jones-Sala um, uh, relationship. But just, you know, Bond has it with that the guy he meets in this one. Any idea what a medium sweet coffee is? No earthly clue. I was very confused by that. Mm -hmm. Apparently, okay, so it has to be ground coffee. Um, there has to be some maple syrup in there, uh, two to three healthy teaspoons of it. And then it's served in a long, a small long-handled pot with a pouring lip called a uh, sesvi. So now you know. That is a Turkish medium sweet coffee. Sounds all right. Interesting. And I, I wondered because he, he said medium sweet there. 
And then later on, he's like ordering room service for breakfast for the next morning. Mm-hmm. And he says that he wants a coffee, like very black. Yep. Or extra black or something like that, which is clearly a lot different than even if you don't know what medium sweet is. I mean, I just thought it was like, okay, medium sweet is an exact amount of milk or cream and an exact amount of sugar, which is my, mm-hmm. you know, my thought, but still. I liked how there's some spy elements there where like he checks into the room and like he checks the phone for like it having a bug and it, it definitely has one. So he would request to move to the bridal suite, which I think was bug too. Um, um, it had more than just a bug in it. We come to find out later. <laughs> oh yeah. Cause they could, they could see through the, um, the one wall, right? Yeah. And they, they recorded essentially a porno, um, against oh, their yeah. will. Oh yeah, that, that yep, you're right. And then then there's that underground lake thing they uh they go through, which kind of had that Indiana Jones kind of feel to it. Um, I think that might be the same kind of area from that um Dan Brown book from Inferno, but not sure. But uh, pretty similar. I'm sure a lot of the kind of um Middle Eastern, northern Middle Eastern cities probably have that kind of stuff going on. So. Although I think, yeah, Istanbul sounds about right. Uh, oh, yeah, the belly dancing. So there's that whole scene where we see the belly dancers for quite a while. So they're featured prominently. I mean, Bond movies would never prominently feature nice looking women. That is something they have never done before. And then I think it's our first action scene. It kind of had a uh, Western um kind of feel to it i think there's some like wagons and stuff and pretty decent action scene but just kind of surprising that it had that you know western genre kind of feel to it am i crazy no i don't i don't think so i mean it definitely like they pulled out the mp5 like they just it just escalated like super quickly there's almost too much of the Bond theme. Like, every time he's, like, driving around or something, it starts playing, which is great, like, the first ten times, and then you're like, maybe you could tone it down with the Bond theme. I mean, they did play the Bond. I remember thinking they were playing it a lot. Even if it was just to the just the real quick, like, couple of notes at the beginning. But, yeah, it was just like they played it a lot. I'm with you on that. And then um, what he, like, kind of turns his nose up to those... Uh, women that are feuding and he ends up getting his uh pick of both of them <laughs> so of course it works out in his favor i mean uh, james bond you might as well just call him james butter because he is smooth as butter baby <laughs> oh a lot of good solid uh bond quips here like um i think one of my favorites i think i laughed out loud when he's just like she should she shouldn't have opened her mouth because <laughs> he uh oh, caps that, that one, one guy that's that climbing out of the wall <laughs> The one I did not like was um, she definitely got her kicks in or she, whatever near the end, and I was oh, just right. like, get get out. That was that one was bad. <laughs> that one was real bad. Oh, and then there's that part about um, we just alluded to about Bond shagging, and then they're checking it out and apparently taking a film of it too. Um. Oh, and that's the part where he. The, does he send MI6 like the recording or is it live? I think it's they're they're insinuating that it's like a live thing. Oh, right? where they're on the boat and she, he's like talk into the camera. Yeah, and he wants like, a little confession I, it, or something. Yeah, I was taking that as that was like 
being transmitted through like a satellite or some secret spy tech or whatever mm -hmm. the hell. That um, makes sense, especially with their reaction where <laughs> all the old men gathering around the, the speaker as she's just like, oh, Bond, we must. I need your dick again now. <laughs> And he's like, he's just like, baby, later. He's like, shut the fuck up and answer my questions. And she's like, fuck me, Jim, fuck me, James, fuck me over and over. And he's like, later. And Money Penny's just like, um, I'll go in the other room and still listen. <laughs> yeah, they're like, get out. <laughs> so they, they obviously didn't say fuck me over and over again. This was not that kind of movie, but still. And then um, the rats in the one cave. That was definitely Last Crusade kind of feel it to all, it. Why is it always rats? Yep. Oh, snakes. Rats. Yes, it's always, it, it's always, why is it snakes? But why is it always rats? All right, go from the passageway to the train. Okay, yeah, so this is the train that I kind of thought the whole movie was. But it's only this one part, and it's pretty effective. Oh, Bond had some uh, sexy. Oh, that's right, because they get on the tra... they get in their cabin in the train, and he has like all these like all this lingerie for her. I was just like, huh, I guess you packed for the occasion. Think I mean, just... he knows what he's doing. <laughs> some great. Uh, I mean, if I was gonna be locked in a car with. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was, gonna say, I was, I just... I was gonna be locked in that train car <laughs> with a beautiful woman. That, you know, was also going to have to pretend to be my wife. Like, I mean, I guess I'd be like, here, baby, have some lingerie. I think that's probably what makes this one of the better Bond films is because we have, like, a super spy as, like, the antagonist, like, kind of hunting Bond. So I, I really like that dynamic. Um, takes itself seriously, too, I think. Okay. Um, oh, that's right. So um, they're joined by the, the, uh, the Spectre assassin to uh dinner and he uh drugs the one girl's uh drink which you know typically that leads to some pretty not so nice things but um yeah they just needed her to take a little nap while they had some man talk right basically and i like how bond was just like yeah what'd you drug her with like he knew <laughs> um and then we had the um the thing that they made fun of in austin powers where it's like no matter how safe you think you are how much you think the the hero can't escape you've never divulged your whole plan and oh. sure enough yeah dude you dude, caught me monologuing you sly dog it's like yeah we're gonna do this and this and this and this i mean and the thing was so great he had it he knocked bond out and had a gun to his head and then another gun to his chest all of that could have been avoided all he had to do was pull the trigger but no he had to gloat and run his mouth and Oh, do you want some of that gold over there in my briefcase? Oh, yeah, gold sounds yeah. nice. <laughs> oh, so, um, yeah, they get rid of him. Cool scene there. And then we get that cool field scene where, like, the helicopter's swooping around, um, chasing after him. Another Last Crusades kind of um, esque moment that it reminded me of. Okay. I just thought it was funny that like because in Last like Crusade this... the um the planes flying around and he ends up getting it to crash by using the uh, the umbrella to get all the birds to fly up. It's it has very similar feel in my opinion. I Especially I mean Sean Connery in both instances. Um, I also uh, I thought it was funny that he used it because remember they they said what kind of caliber 
for the sniper rifle. And obviously, as the sniper rifle fit inside of a briefcase, it was a very small sniper rifle, but it still made the helicopter like explode. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of the uh, the ridiculous uh, revolver Joker uses in that '89 uh, Batman movie. Just okay. this is an actual rifle, that, thankfully. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that 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 revolver that he was using had a higher caliber than this sniper rifle. Mm, probably, probably, <laughs> and, all, not and off. also. It looked like that he could literally put that gun into the sky and touch the bat plane as he shot it. <laughs> but yes, that gun is redonkulous. And just in a movie that's overly serious, that gun is overly silly. All those great uh, shots of Bond running through uh, those hills. And then for the explosion, we go to that, that kind of ugly looking rear projection shot. Oh, well. I guess you can't shoot it all live. Not sometimes. Sometimes you can. You got to be safe, man. You got to be safe. Hmm, let's see here. He throw. Oh, that's right. They board the boat, and like he's just like, "This isn't your day," and he just throws him overboard. <laughs> he's ruthless. Um, let's see. Fake out henchman death. I don't even re remember what that's referencing. Yeah, I don't either. Huh? Fake out henchman. Why don't you start talking and let me ponder this for a moment. Um. So next up, you, we, we're going to the boat chase, which is crazy. And then they all mm -hmm. of a sudden just swarm him and they've got tons of fuel and they're like shooting. They call them like rifle, rifle grenades. But it's just, it just look like rocket launchers with, and they're like, we're trying to get close and stop him, not sinking. I'm like, why the hell are you shooting at a boat with grenades? And Weren't um, they shooting guns? them like way up in the air, like they were mortars or something. Kind of. I mean, they looked like they were just like they were still shooting like explosives into the water, and I'm like, you're trying not to sink his boat, but you're shooting at him with explosives and guns. Like this doesn't mm -hmm. seem good. And, and so just they letting all, all these the... barrels go everywhere, and they just somehow perfectly line up in a wall in front of all the boats. <laughs> oh yeah, and then they all freaked out. They're like, watch where you're going and get all the gun ammunition off the boat. It's like, no, bitch, you get off the boat in the water. Like getting your toast, your toast. Didn't the quarterback is toast. <laughs> um, oh, that's funny. That's from Die Hard too. The quarterback yes. is toast. Um, yep. <laughs> oh, there, wasn't there a shot where like a, a henchman's like on fire and like jumps out in the water or something? I mean, yeah, I think one of them was like almost on fire, on fire, and he jumps out into the water and like into more fire. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but yeah, no, they um th that boat scene was a little bit over the top. So after they find out that Bond escapes, like, um, Blofeld's acting like he's going to kill the lady, but he ends up killing the chess master guy, and he sends the lady back out to get Bond. That's what the, the fake-out henchman death was. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, and um, they kill him with this poison on a mm -hmm. boot knife, and it was like 12 seconds, and he was like, I wish we could find a faster venom. Mm. Cold-blooded. It's like... I was like, it's already 12 seconds, guy. What the fuck else do you want? Instant. It's got to go in the bloodstream, guy. And then you have the attempted assassination scene in the hotel room, just like in Austin Powers. Uh, quite amusing to see the uh, the old Russian lady trying to use her uh, her little kicks to to get at Bond. I thought that was quite amusing, but also entertaining. And that Russian lady is very reminiscent of the woman like in... Uh, Austin Powers, like they look very similar. Yeah, the uh, Scott's mom or whatever. Yeah. Yep, I didn't even that didn't even come to mind, but yeah, you're you're 
spot on, I think, there. Um, let's see here. Typically get rid of a Oh, let's okay. So yeah, typical James Bond ending where they make a big deal about throwing the uh the film footage of them getting it on in that that room and they throw it overboard and he does this very awkward like wave goodbye thing as <laughs> then the the credits started to roll. But um gosh, this is a so I mean, there's silly moments. I mean, that's inherent with the nature of Bond, but this is such a, a solid Bond flick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I um, I think actually talking about it, I appreciate it more because I was just in such a bad mood for the start of the movie, oh, no. and like I guess I kind of just missed over some stuff, and then so I, you know, talking about it, and I was like, oh yeah, that was actually kind of cool, and it was cool to see this, and this, and this. So I'm glad we talked about it. it yeah, I appreciate it a little bit more. Yeah, this I can definitely see why people would go with Sean Connery being their favorite Bond with um, you know what he does in this and yeah I need to watch through all these Bond films I've seen a majority of them but now that I'm on Letterbox I should be able to log them and actually be able to keep track of them a little bit so four stars for me I mean it's no masterpiece but it is a really really solid movie that I think um, you know really laid the the groundwork for everything that would come you know twenty odd films later so um i gave it three but i actually think i'm gonna push it back to three and a half um just because i mean it's the same thing i gave dr no but it just it feels like it feels like it's a little bit better than a than a three after we talked about it so i'm gonna go give it a three and a half i remember seeing dr no more recently than this the first time and uh i remember dr no feeling very dated and um, just how it come, kind of comes across. And there's that kind of cheesy tank at one point or some kind of vehicle in Dr. No, right? Yeah, I mean, but there, these these are all, like even this one was cheesy. It's just mm-hmm. um, not not near as much. I'm looking forward. Carl got the box set for Christmas, so we're just going to kind of go go through them. Nice. Um, part of the reason I, I picked it anyway, so just to to go start going through the older Bond movies. Yeah, man. All right, right after the break, we'll see what Apple might have in store for their latest iPhone model. Coming up right now, coming up after the break. back and yeah what russia's waging war on ukraine and we did a movie called from russia with love and didn't mention that but now we did next up we got a robot and frank which came up on my uh wheel of destiny which it's one of those kind of movies that i've always wanted to watch i just never got around to but let's learn a little bit more about it it's from 2012 an american science fiction comedy drama uh directed by jake um Schreier? I don't know. It is set in the near future and focuses on Frank Weald, an aging jewel thief played by Frank uh, Langella, whose son buys him a domestic robot. Uh, Resistant at first, Frank warms up 
to the robot when he realizes he can use it to restart his career as a cat burglar. That's definitely true, but I think there's a lot more to it than that. Um, so what were your, how were you feeling on this one? Hopefully you weren't in a bad mood. No, I, um, I actually enjoyed this movie. Um, oh, good. I, I wish that, you know, we had, I, I would have known we were going to have to delay and I would have, you know, waited a little bit longer to watch it, mm-hmm. but I definitely, it definitely had its moments where it, it was cute um, it definitely had other moments where you were kind of like, yo, what the fuck are you doing, man? Why are you being dumb? But, um, like, it feels like it wanted, um, it wanted to hit you with some of the feels from, like, The Father, which I have mm-hmm. not seen, but, you know, both you and Carl and, like, everybody says it's great. And it wanted to hit you with, um, shit, what were those other vibes? Because I said it after we finished watching the movie. And now I don't remember. Oh, shit. Yep, it definitely gets into that mental health aspect. So, yeah, the father is an apt comparison. Um, yeah, there was something about... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I, can't, I, just, I can't remember what the other thing I compared it was. And I guess, obviously, it had something to do with, like, a robot companion of some sort. Oh, her? But, yeah, that was it. It was her. <laughs> yeah. Um, because dude, I pulled at your heart, (laughs) but this movie did not rip my soul out like her did. Oh my God. (laughs) So, um, yeah, there's just something about this cover that always I found so intriguing. I didn't know anything about it. Like I didn't even know like the whole, um, thief aspect was coming up until it actually did in the movie. So that was a cool surprise. And I tell you, like a lot of times I'll sit down to watch these, um, podcast movies and just because I know I'm going to be like talking about them and stuff, I'm maybe a little bit more like tensed up while I'm watching them. But man, this one went down like a cold glass of tall glass of water. Um, kind of watched it in bed, watched at least an hour of it. And then it was like really late at night. So I finished the rest in the morning and um, yeah, it was a really smooth watch. Enjoyed, enjoyed it quite a bit. 90 yeah. Uh, yeah. It was definitely just, it definitely flew by. Um, and I thought it was very, like, it was an easy watch for sure. So right off from the beginning, we see how bad his dementia is because his house is like a total mess. He can't keep track of like when the milk expires, he's, he's eating bad milk with his cereal. So he's in, he's in pretty bad shape. Um, what a wild cast. We have what? Susan Sarandon, Susan Sarandon. James Marsden. What the fuck is James Marsden doing in this movie? And then same goes for Liv Taylor. Just a wacky good cast. Liv Tyler? Not Liv Taylor before, you know, people come for us? They haven't so far, so I guess I'll keep living dangerously and pronouncing everybody's name wrong. I mean, shit happens. Let's see. I like how we never actually um, know where... Frank's mind is at any given moment like at any given moment like he could be like doing some brilliant like burglary stuff or be like totally like distracted and lost in and his unfortunate illness um did you get that did you kind of get that vibe yeah um or you know something he would be focused on something and if it didn't go the way he planned it would like it was like it would send him back mm-hmm. like there's that one time the phone rings and he just kind of he, it's like he doesn't even know how to hold the phone, and he gets like really distracted from it. So, yeah, at any given moment, he can kind. Of, it seemed like 
he could kind of lose it, lose where he's at, which is probably a big reason why, you know, he's been separated from his, his family, which we find out more about that coming up, especially with this crush, uh, this, this crush on the librarian he has. Oh, yeah, which is Susan Sarandon. <laughs> um, and I guess I could see that as an older, I mean, like, she's a very attractive older lady, and he's an older gentleman, so that makes a lot of sense. And Great personality. You know, she, Yo, yeah, she was she was fantastic in this movie. And so, there's obviously with like a, a curmudgeon-y old guy like becoming friends with a robot. We obviously have this like modernization theme, and that plays into with like the fact that the libraries getting rid of all their books and they're like going digital, and it's going to be more of a community place for I guess readers or something. So, I I was really appreciative of the fact that this movie had a lot of good themes and things to say, but I never felt like it really, it, it never really hammered them in too hard. It would just kind of let them sit there and kind of resonate. And I, I, I kind of appreciated how this movie didn't let like what it was going for, like getting, get in the way of just, you know, having a real smooth movie, just how I kind of described early on. Yeah. And I also, one of the things I, I liked, um, was you saw like the difference between James Marsden, which is his son, and Liv Tyler, which is his daughter, mm-hmm. where you know he's his he's the one who brings Frank the robot to to be like his caregiver, and she's like, oh no no, um you know that goes against what I believe, blah blah blah, um or you know thinks that they're bad or something like that, and so they you know just have this completely differing of opinion, and it kind of seems to be thought of you know you kind of see a little bit that's kind of how the community is that it's kind of split on these robot relations. I don't know if that's the mm-hmm. right turn of phrase, but it just kind of parallels to how everything, especially in our country, splits everybody um, one way or the other. So Yeah, and she seems real noble at first because it looks like she's like in Afghanistan or something, like helping like orphans or something. But then we actually meet her and she's quite, actually quite self-absorbed, I, I found. Yeah, she was in like what Turkmenistan or something. I think is oh, what it was. Oh, is that what it was? Okay. Yeah, but I mean, the movie is very technology forward. Like, you know, she's talking on the TV, and you know, he's answering mm-hmm. the phone by voice. And then the phones they do have are like these clear, like look like they're off of Star Trek or something kind of phones. So mm-hmm. I don't think they ever say what year it is, but it definitely is in near future. Technology, yeah, technology, te- technologically forward. Yeah. And he can never keep his uh, the fact that Harry's is I guess his former fa- or his favorite restaurant uh, had closed up, and that's like something that always kind of comes up. Like whenever he needs like an escape, he's always like, "Oh, I'm gonna go to Harry's or whatever." Like it used to be like his like maybe maybe that was his bar back in the day. Yeah, um, probably like his bar where he knew the people and he'd always you know get his food or whatever. Um, where everybody knows your name, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um Oh yeah, he appears to be a klepto because he keeps going into that doggone bed bath and beyond or whatever and stealing the soaps and the ladies. Well, I like, guess it's like it's like a local bed bath and beyond, but yeah. it's what replaced Harry's. And you you seen you saw earlier that he had opened like his safe and he had like these wads of cash and these random little things in there. Come to find out that's why he kept stealing from the 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 shop there. Yes. Oh, so you think that the fact that he just steals this random stuff is to kind of like just ease his like klepto urges because um, by nature he is a burglar. 
I mean, it could be, yeah, just um, to see if I still got it, or or it could even be not to ease his urge, but if he's, you know, into his dementia, he could be thinking he's younger, and it's that danger, can I get away with it? Mm-hmm. And he's actually going through the stages of what led him to becoming a burglar in the first place, mm-hmm. and then you see him leading him back towards being a burglar again in his old age. So maybe maybe some like paralleling there. You can kind of see why um, his son is more aggressive, like whenever he finally gets there, because he's like very critical on his son. Like well, he picks him up whenever he's like kind of walking in the middle of the road and he's like harasses him about um, his kid's toy that's there. He's like, why are you spoiling him with all this junk and stuff? And he's just really like for the most part, he seems so chill. But then whenever he's talking to his son, he's like really like hard on him for some reason, which um but I mean, I mean, especially, you know, a lot of the older generation, like even the older generation, you and I, mm-hmm. you know, they're like, well, we didn't grow up with all this stuff and we're fine. And it's like, well, but you yeah. didn't have this stuff. You didn't have the things that we have now. And aren't we supposed to grow up and do more and be have better and all of that kind of jazz? So, point. I mean, yeah. So, I mean, it, it, I kind of think that that is a good representation of um like boomers and Gen Xers to millennials and uh, mm-hmm. Gen Zers and that kind of stuff. Yeah, for sure. I remember when my my dad was first like, "Oh, I'm never going to be texting," and now he texts just fine. So you really it just it takes one to know one. I think that phrase goes pretty far in in this uh, in society where you just need it in your hand and play with it, and you, you eventually figure it out. So, um, yeah, that's now that I think about it. Yeah. The, the fact that he's bitching about the, the kid's toy, you know, definitely parallels the fact that he's about to get his own toy that he's not going to be happy about with the, with the robot. Um, I thought I found it interesting how bulky the design was, despite how it's more of a, you know, it's a domestic servant. So it's like just kind of barely moving its arms and talking. So the fact that it's so bulky and kind of retro, it was an interesting choice. I, I liked it, and then I liked seeing like it talk to the the librarian robot, and you know, yeah, you knew which it's was even bulkier. <laughs> yeah, and it kind of gave me um, Futurama vibes, where they had all the different styles and classes of robots that had different jobs and did stuff, and some looked more humanoid, and others looked square and that kind of stuff. They kind of gave me that that kind of vibe. It was kind of a reverse Star Wars because. Um, I remember in Star Wars, like, C-3PO would just be kind of, like, having random conversations with droids, where in this they show that the droids' only purpose is to keep their humans happy. They have no ability to really converse with each other that much, or it's very limited. Yeah, and they're at, like, the party, and he's like, hey, y'all in Iraq, you know, we're going to go fool around or whatever they were going to (laughs) do, and they're like, oh, why would we talk to each other? That's not our job. And it almost looked like an astronaut helmet on him. So definitely a futuristic vibe. But I thought it was a cool look. Definitely stands out. I mean, yeah, definitely. Now that you said it, I guess I didn't think about that. But it really does look like an astronaut's helmet. I thought it was interesting how, like... So Frank is like, you know, he's a human. He knows how to take care of himself. But, you know, his mind's going... And really, it's this this robot that starts taking care of self for him. So it, it's interesting to see this lifeless object actually 
take more care of life than the actual human is. So just a little little story quirk there with, you know, all the characters. Yeah. He definitely does not want to do any gardening though. No, no gardening. But, but digging in the dirt does come in handy later. Yeah, it, it does come in it does come in handy and I got a little bit of uh town vibes there at the end, but we'll get to that. Some things just take time, Frank, is a quote I put down there. Because, man, this uh, this robot's coming out with some pretty exquisite culinary uh, cuisine, especially compared to whenever his daughter starts cooking. God, that was awful. Oh, yeah, where he was like, I want pasta or something. He and... wants lasagna, and she throws, like, some like some overcooked penne and, like, a styrofoam bowl with some, like, really, really generic tomato sauce on the top. It's like... <laughs> and she was like it took me an hour to make this and i was like what the fuck are you doing where you did you jar the sauce yourself like <laughs> did you jar it like did you go like are you counting the time it took you to go to the store oh <laughs> so. uh, yeah so this plays off of that last point about how the robot takes care of them i think they actually have a conversation where he's like well if you die from eating cheeseburgers, I've failed my programming. So I'm going to do my best to take care of you. So, mm, Cheeseburgers. <laughs> and then it's, it's, it's interesting how they dive into the morality code. Like so much of this stuff is just, it could be done in so much more of an obvious way, but it's just, it's just underplayed and it just flows so nicely. Like this whole like morality question that comes into play where it's just like, well, I don't really have morality. I'm here to, you know, make sure you're healthy and happy. So, yeah, he does whatever he, he's told. And and he's not even told. He just knows. And he, he ends up stealing the bar of soap for Frank um, at the little shop. Yeah, and then that's where they got into the conversation about his programming and all mm -hmm. of that. So, yeah, no, that was that was very interesting. And then to see, like, you at that point, you know kind of where it's going to go. But to, to see that, to, to see it start there and, and I was yep. going to say blossom, but I guess balloon is a better word. Balloon out of control. Yep, start stacking um, towards that climax. Um, so we meet the, the new like library um, guy, which I have a joke about what he does in a second here. So yeah, he uh, he's, he's a big prick. Um, it's kind of funny how he backhanded um insults frank by how he's like the older generation he's like oh i want to give you get your perspective on the older generation he's just like ah oh, you little fucker get away from me and that works perfectly with the um don quixote being the book because you know that's about a forgetful old man so that fits perfectly with frank as he's going a little nuts um teaches the robot to pick locks and Kind of a fun moment there where we find out that um he could never bring himself to teach his, his own son but um the robot he trusts enough to teach his trade to i thought it was interesting that um that don quixote was uh it was too old and they weren't going to scan that one in and that one was going to be left mm. um and you know it's just and then it's, so it's an old man stealing an old book for an old woman kind of thing, but still also how men will do dumb shit for women, no matter at 12 or 13, 23 or 33 or 63, we just do dumb shit. Mm -hmm. Let's see. 
So I think uh, we're going to the library experience. We, we kind of touched on a little bit earlier, but yeah. you know, they're scanning all the books. So now it, it's basically kind of like the hipsters, like it's cool to go to the library again, but they still want to do everything digitally. And so they're scanning all the books, which is kind of strange that they're scanning all the books because so many books are already on digital now mm-hmm. between like Kindle and just, you know, everything. But I mean, it, it made sense. They're trying to save, maybe some of those weren't on, you know, media yet, but I guess they're scanning them for, for that software or whatever they're going to use in the library. But I guess it's going to mm-hmm. be like the hipster hotspot kind of thing. And so that's what they're going for. And then, um, so then fast forwarding a bit, uh, well, what kind of brings us back to what we were talking about with the Don Quixote book. So they're stealing that and he's so forgetful that he starts like getting confused and like kind of babbling out loud and, and while during the law, the, the robbery, and so uh, the robot's like, hey, I thought we are supposed to be quiet. So yeah, it's always interesting to see when Frank's not going to come a little unhinged, even in his most careful moments. And during that scene, he um, leaves his glasses at the robbery. Oh, does he? Okay. Yeah, that's that's why when uh, um, new, new, I, li- new librarian owner prick guy... He's mm-hmm. like, hey, man, do you wear reading glasses? Mm, that's right. Yeah. yeah, but he suspects somebody can't really prove. Well, I, I guess he probably could have proved it in that moment, but it just never comes together for him. Makes uh, Frank uncomfortable to talk about the robot not actually being human because he's starting to see the robot like that, even though I don't think he ever names him, does he? No, they never name him. Um, he's just robot. I guess his name is robot, but... Tell Susan Sarandon to go home whenever she has she bought him pie. How dare he? Right. I mean, she was going to bring him all kinds of pie. <laughs> oh, um, so, but mm-hmm. but you you watch that scene then, and you're just like, uh, I mean, she obviously knows what's going on, but she's upset and leaves. But you know, something that we'll get to in a little bit, which is kind of like the twist of the movie. Yeah. It makes it even like more heartbreaking i guess that scene that um mm, that maybe you know maybe that she like should have tried to go in i i don't know it, it's it's hard to say some great character building because it's kind of a slow build up to that main um robbery as they're like scouting out the house and it's funny because frank's noticing different patterns and the robot admits that he wasn't seeing so some it's a really cool dynamic seeing them um kind of work together we got we, we kind of uh, we got into the daughter stuff so early. Some of my notes here are void, so let me jump over this stuff about her. Um, well, um, we didn't talk about where um, she cleans the house and all right, and he's like, "You use the robot," and she, you know, at first she denies it. Um, <laughs> and and you know, to me, it came across of not necessarily self-absorbed, but she wanted to be like, like I can do this. I did it. You know, see, we don't need the robots. And then it was, mm-hmm. well, yeah, I use the robot to help. Um, but I guess, you know, maybe that's supposed to be, well, the robots are just, they're second class. They're not, they're not human, so they don't matter. And especially in this country, people who have helped clean, uh, inside of a house, they're definitely seen Mm -hmm. as less, um, Mm -hmm. by a lot of people throughout our history in America. So that could definitely, I don't know if that was supposed to be a parallel, but it definitely, I think could be, or definitely works. Yeah, I agree. 
the thing I was kind of getting from it was like, she's like, oh, we, we need to be doing this for ourselves. Like, I guess she's, she's trying to make him more self-dependent is probably what she's going for. But yeah, this, this robot it's, definitely is, means well. I mean, yeah. I mean, you, it's hard to do that when he's going through that dementia and the robot for the most part, seems like he's helping him. Like you, you, he seems to go less and less into the dementia. Like obviously it's not stopping it because it's, you know, not, treatment but it definitely seems to be helping and there's definitely this tense moment where like frank is kind of freaking out that he doesn't have his robot buddy to uh to play in this heist with anymore and but that's no i mean there's a tension there but it's not like in your face just another great example of how each beat of this thing is is so um it's it's placed very uh smoothly I guess is the the word I'll keep going to, but um, pretty badass to see um the robot crack that uh that safe by doing all the calculations or whatever within however long it took him. Not very long. Wouldn't take him two hours, I think they said. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I thought it was interesting how burning the evidence seems so natural to Frank, because you know, like. As soon as they he figures out that they're kind of on to him, he's like burning all those plans. But the idea of like wiping this robot's memory is like completely like devastating to him. Oh, that and putting the the jewelry like in a, it, I, I thought it was a condom, but maybe it was a balloon. I guess kind of the same idea. Mm. Um, to, I guess to protect it, which we come to find out later. I mean, yeah. So, but do you see when like when Liv leaves? He gives her these earrings and he's like, go and sell them, you know, when you get far away at a pawn shop. And she's like, I know the deal. So, like, it, you know, it seems like she's definitely helped him or at least been in the know mm-hmm. more maybe so than um, the son. That was a great fake out whenever he hands the son the um, the bag of um, and throws it in his car. And they've obviously staked out his house. So they stop him and. They check out the bag and it was just a bunch of old soap and then off flies Frank with Robot and they're making their own escape, which is this the part where you want to talk about the town? Um, well, no, it's where they um, at the very end mm-hmm. where he like leaves a note for the kids and tells them to like look under the garden. Mm, OK, yeah. And if you if you've seen the town, um, Ben Affleck's character, is it Michelle Monaghan, Bridget Monaghan? Anyway, his his squeeze, he he tells his squeeze like like he leaves uh the bag full of money like in her garden and you know with a note or whatever and you know, of course she uses it to build like um to to get the rec center back opened and um names it after his mom and all that kind of stuff. So as much as they talk about like scanning the robot's memory in order to like figure out like what the robot knows, it never really seems like something like that that they're about to do like i'm not I, the movie never convinced me that they knew even knew how to do that yeah i don't think they knew how but it definitely seemed like it was something that could um, happen that, that, yeah because i think they got close to the robot and that's when he initiated the the, the countdown sequence and everybody ran away um even though he didn't have a countdown sequence, but they were like, shit, we can't risk it, which, you know, just... Oh, right, because, the, oh, the self-destruct joke. Gotcha. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then he yeah. does end up mm-hmm. wiping his memory, and he's like, oh, I knew you had an off button, and it's just like, oh, okay. This 
and this had to be done, but it sucks. It wasn't too melodramatic. It was it was what it needed to be. Um, then we find we finally find out that the librarian was his ex-wife, and you know, those are those his their their kids and stuff. And it seems like they've come together a little bit better there by the end. There's a real artsy moment where like they're all sitting there at the table, like in the woods, or like having a picnic or something, and it just had this real artsy feel to it. It. Um, I'm glad that that what I mean, I think the the story was put together in a really clever way, but it was never being on its shoulder artsy. But that part stood out a little bit more, but in a nice way. Yeah, I could see that. So he accepts living in like the the assisted living now, you know, he kind of goes to and from. But he does see that a lot of the other residents have robots and he just kind of scoffs at them. So. I'm not really sure I understand, like, I guess if it wasn't going to be his robot, he wasn't going to have a robot anymore. But I wonder why, I mean, he probably would have been able to power back on, but I guess at that point he just felt like he didn't need it. I'm not, yeah, I don't know. That's hard to say. Mm-hmm. It just kind of, the end, um, yeah, it, it it's a little amb- ambiguous to why he decides that he can, um, he's moved on, but uh, he has, I mean. That's what the movie shows you. So, um, yeah, I, I would go with a four on this one. Maybe four and a half. Um, kind of still deciding, but I really appreciate what it did. It didn't blow me away, but gosh, it was such a smooth watch with a lot of smart stuff in it. So I really liked Robot and Frank. I enjoyed it. I gave it a three and a half. Um, I definitely uh, really I thought it was good for, for sure. Definitely think that if you haven't seen it, I mean, a lot of people probably haven't even heard of it, that, like, definitely should go check it out. Um, I mean, it's going to give you, it's going to give you a little bit of emotion. It's going to give you, um, especially, you know, if you've dealt with anybody with those kind of dementia problems, you're going to get those feelings. Um, I don't, I don't think it's as, for my understanding, as uh, tough on the feelings as, um, I think it's father but I mean, you also, you know, some other movies that kind of dealt with that was the the Matt Reeves Planet of the Apes movies. That's the whole reason that their Planet of the Apes movies even existed. Um, you can go back to something like um, The Notebook, where um, grown up uh, Allie has, you know, Alzheimer's or dementia, and Noah reads her their story of their their whole lifetime and to get her to get her back even for just a few minutes. So I mean, it's definitely been touched on in some movies before. Um, but this one I think does give it a little bit of a twist, adding you know, adding the technology and that companionship of of a of a of a non sentient being. Well set. Cool. So what are we doing next? No, what are we doing next? What you got for me? You know, I have I own this movie that we're gonna watch. So I was gonna try to figure out the best way to drop it on you. Any guesses? I mean, there are some big ones that come to mind, but I think also, like, I think to to each of us it might be a little bit different. Like, I mean, I think Clueless would be, like, the big obvious choice. Um, it's kind of one of the just big iconic 90s movies. Um, but, see, to me, I don't I don't know what personifies the 90s to you, so it, it's hard to say. I mean, you could, you could have picked, like, Titanic, or you could have went, 
you know, even even though we've done stuff like Fight Club, you could have went Fight Club or Seven, Matrix. Like, there's just so many big movies, and the '90s was such a whirlwind time of uh, technology advances, the music, the fashion. So, like, I mean, even something. Um, it's the movie is about a record company. It's got Liv Tyler in it, and they sing all this different music and stuff. Uh, Empire Records, like that's very stereotypical '90s Romeo and Juliet. Like, so it's I'm, I'm just why I've been very interested to see where you're going to go with this. All right, let's see if this works out the way I want it to. So one of the most common new oh, of course I'm going to get the right the ad about the guy talking about his toxic poop. Okay. <laughs> I love you, honey bunny. Everybody be cool, this is a robbery! Any of you fucking pricks move! And I'll execute every motherfucking last one of you! Boy, howdy. You wanna talk about Pulp Fiction? Mm. Yes. Yes, I do. I thought you might. Mmm, baby. <laughs> Pretty sweet, huh? Indeed. Yeah, I actually just finished this um, CNN special about like movie history, and I just finished the '90s, and um, so I saw a lot of the the big bangers throughout that series. But uh, yeah, I thought Pulp Fiction uh, had that '90s feel that I wanted to get into. It's one of the classics I mean, of the of the decade. So I mean, it's got. Killer cast, it, it, killer director. It's got a killer cast. It's got the killer soundtrack, the killer director. It's got all, you know, it starts with the 90s where people were starting to maybe talk about taboo stuff a little bit more with drugs. Um, you've got, you know, the the homosexual stuff. And there's all, you just all the stuff that was, you know, kind of more taboo. And the 90s kind of starts breaking away some of those stereotypes. So, yeah, I think this is perfect. I also watched... Um, uh, it might have been like Watch Mojo or something. I don't know. It was some stupid top ten list or top yeah top ten list and of movies from the '90s and this that list had this at number one. Nice. Um, so I think that's very very appropriate. Um, all right, let's see. Uh, let's see what else we're gonna we're gonna join with it. Yeah, Wheel of Destiny time. Boop 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 boop. It is the Wheel of Destiny time. All right. Um. And if it had only been 25, we could have had the double Tarantino combo. Um, but uh, didn't quite get there. So uh, number it's number 20. And my number 20 is from, uh, what year is this? 2005. Okay. Also a very a very musical movie. It's got uh, Terrence Howard, Anthony Anderson, Taryn Manning, Taraj P. Henson. Is that Hustle and Flow? It is Hustle and Flow. Okay, I've never seen, seen that's it. in college. Okay, I've never seen it. So, um, and did did Terrence Howard win for this movie, or at least get nominated or something? Right? It won best song, I believe. But I think yeah, it's I think all. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds right. So pretty that's cool. that ought to be pretty, pretty bangerific. And for your category for next time, uh, let's watch a favorite movie of yours that I haven't seen. Favorite movie of mine that you haven't seen? Ooh. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm. I will see what I can make happen. I feel like uh, you've seen probably all of my favorite movies, but we'll uh, we'll see what I can come up with. 
we've been going we've we've gone through like hey let's pick random art films here for a long time so maybe it's about time to get into our bread and butter for a while i mean yeah i'm, I'm okay with that i'm gonna have to have to think about it and do some uh do some deep diving on your uh, on your letterbox there but uh I'm okay with that. All right. Thanks so much for joining us. And if you have a question, we'd love to hear about it. How do they do it, Joey? Um, there's a couple different ways now. So <laughs> you obviously can go right down below and leave us a comment here on this video. Like a bomb girl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. You can leave Lord, us a video I below. Um, you can also go to our Facebook page and click the button and it'll help you send us an email or if you don't want to go to our facebook page you can go straight to the average joe's movie clubcast at gmail.com you love or, that facebook button you love it or well i just want people to know how easy it is or if you know you're younger and you're like who the fuck has facebook that's for old people and we resent you for that because we're not old but if you want to use twitter <laughs> we do have that too um and that is at the ajmcc um definitely would like some more followers i did a poll up on there for my spinoff podcast um and maybe we'll do some more polls and stuff maybe you can um reach out directly through there to us as well and of course both of us have letter boxes um which we have talked about ad nauseum on here so you know leave us comments there we love hearing from you we want questions comments concerns all that kind of stuff so, Joey, why do we do this show? Because we love talking about movies. Good night, everyone, and we'll see you for Pulp Fiction and Hustle and Flow next time. Hell yes. Oh? And what's so stinking about it? I'm not a patriot feeling. Spirit is this just might be my master.